Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Good afternoon, everyone. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Galatians chapter 2. You might already be in 1 Peter, so hold your place there. But go to Galatians Galatians chapter 2, and I want to start out there this afternoon. One of the things that's become a big part of our society today, particularly in the area of crime and sort of unfortunately, it's probably happened to many of you in the room, is this whole idea of identity theft. Has any of you ever had identity theft? Had a credit card stolen or had somebody hack into your bank account or any of that? Am I the only one? Is one in the back? Okay, over here. Over here. Okay, now they're coming out. Okay, so no passwords to give out tonight. This, we're not going to do that. But I want us to think about that a little bit in the context of what we're going to talk about tonight in the deal, in the idea of identity theft. So we're in this letter to first, that first Peter, and Peter's written a letter to the church. And so we know the context of the, the receivers of the letter who first received it, and then we try to translate that into our day and our time and how this represents what Peter would say to us. And Pastor Wade's given me these next four verses to speak on this afternoon. In light of that, one of the things that Peter desires to get across for us is the idea that we have to completely understand where our identity is. And here's the deal with that. We live in a crazy, fast, wicked world in which our identity could be stolen or could be hijacked or it could be lost in the midst of chaos and family difficulties and financial situations, whatever it might be. But this afternoon, we turn to the idea of thinking about what Peter's writing and the idea of understanding who I am in Christ, understanding my identity in the one who came to save me. So that's not a new revelation for many of you. But at the same time, I'm pretty convinced in my own heart, my own life, often I forget where my identity lies and whom it is who saved me and my walk with him and what that looks like and how I interact with you, how you interact with me is based on that. So you've got your Bibles turned to um, Galatians, right? Galatians, let's look at this idea then as we think about this idea of identity theft and we think about that identity and sort of the idea of people breaking into us, whatever it might be. And let's read then from... Galatians chapter 2, and let me just look at verse 20, and I want you to think about this. Think about the context of the verse in light of the fact of your identity in Christ and who you are. So it says there, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, now live in the flesh, I live by faith And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? So what Paul's doing in Galatians is helping us to identify where my salvation is, where my identity is. 
Now, what I want you to do, and I don't, I don't know, I'm going to just assume for a moment, because I know most of you, if not all of you, fairly well, is that everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer of Jesus Christ. So according to this verse of Scripture, think about this in the context of identity. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And so I thought about this verse in the context of just separating out and making some statements about this, okay? Because as an outsider, you can't survive the Christian life without a recognized identity. So a misplaced identity is going to bring about a misplaced life. A misplaced identity will bring about a misplaced life, meaning that as a follower of Christ, if I don't understand my identity in him and who I am, then as a result, my life's going to feel misplaced. It's going to feel out of place. I'm going to make choices and decisions that ultimately won't match the one whose identity has been placed upon me. So I've put some statements to this to help us think through it. I've been crucified with Christ, okay? So I no longer live for myself, and now I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's look at these. I think there's like five statements. And I embrace my identity because of Christ who died for me, which means then I died to myself. Okay, listen to me now. Your identity is anchored on a life that died when Jesus Christ died. Okay, so that means that my life had been given to him who died for me is that my life is now based on him. I died to myself in order that I might live through him. Second statement is this, I embrace Jesus and I no longer live for myself. Okay, we're saturated in a world that's a me world. It's a world that everything, everything about what I read, everything about television, everything about going on, the, it looks like the world's supposed to swirl around us. But the identity of the person who's a follower of Christ says, no, it doesn't work like that. Your world swirls around me because you died to yourself and you embrace me. Here's the third statement. I embrace Jesus because he lives in me. Okay, so if you talk to a little kid, and you've heard this phrase before, uh, invite Jesus Christ into your heart and be born again. And the little kid's confused because his mom told him that it's the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart, okay? So this is a representation of a follower of Jesus Christ who has the Spirit of God reigning within them. Your identity in Christ is that God dwells with you. Now, Peter's writing a letter to outsiders, people who are in exile, people who are living outside and, and trying to get this right for God. And the result of that then is that he lives in me and he walks with me. Next statement is this. I embrace Jesus because my flesh is still real. My identity in Christ says because I belong to Christ and he's holy, and he has a desire for me to be holy, then I want to try to move through life and not sin. Okay, so we're all sinners, we're all going to sin, but the holy God who called you out, as Peter's been describing, is called out once, says, no, I want you to live holy. So as a result of that, then there's this battle that rages with the flesh, the old flesh, and the new you. And there's a constant battle. Every day when you get up, the battle is on whether the flesh is going to win or if your identity in Christ is going to win. Jesus says, choose me. Come follow me. 
The next statement says this, I embrace Jesus because of my faith. I trust Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. So my identity is, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. But because of being a follower of Jesus Christ, my identity says then that by faith, I believe Jesus Christ for who he is and I will follow him. That's my identity. My identity is I'm not going to follow that path. My identity is I'm going to follow this path and follow after him. And then I think this is the last statement. I embrace Jesus because he gave himself for me. And now back to Peter's letter. That's what Peter's saying. Your identity is in the one who gave his life for you. I've called you out from the world. I've said this multiple times, but let it sink into your heart. There are 7 billion people roaming the earth today. Peter's writing, Jesus Christ is speaking to a small group of people this evening who are called out of that 7 billion who've come to faith. And he says as a result of that, put your identity in me. Put your identity in me. And yet we're bombarded with everything else in the world that says, no, put your trust in this. Put your trust in your pension fund. Put your trust in your children. Put your trust in your spouse. Put your trust in your job. All these things that are trying to identify who we are. Kind of in a real and a fresh way for me, and I say this just as a word of testimony, now that we've left Mountain View in Somerset West, and we officially moved in this week, so we're all here in Hermanus now. And I kid you not, part of my struggle as a pastor is part of my identity is sitting in Somerset West. I had a large group of people that I shepherd there. That, that was my job. That's what Christ called me to do. And now I've moved away from that campus, and I've moved to this campus. And what I'm speaking about is really real because the reality is, is like there's a piece of my heart sitting back there because I was their shepherd and they were the sheep and I pastored them. So a challenge for me is it's like, hey, wait a minute, Tom, are all these statements true? Because if your identity is based on the woodwork in Somerset West and the people in Somerset West, then you've misplaced your identity because your identity has to be in me. And I can put you wherever I want to put you. It's because your identity will rest in me. So take your Bibles then and go to Peter then. We're in Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at this now. And we'll start and we'll just go verses 9 through 12. And look at this idea then that Peter says to us about as outsiders, how we cope with that. So we're going to just take four points. I'll just take one per verse. And I've got about 25 minutes left. And I'm going to use all those minutes so that we can try to grasp this in a, in a real and a, and a fresh way. So there's that first statement that we had. Does everybody have a handout? Do you like a handout? Do you like a fill in the blanks? Do you have one of those? Do you need one? you have one? Okay. Actually, there's just one left, but I think I have one. So if, if you don't like filling in the blanks, then the best thing to do with that thing is to turn it over, and then you can use it for your grocery list when you head off to pick and pay this week, okay? Or checkers, wherever you might go. Does anybody else need one? Did I miss anybody? Okay. Are you ready? Say ready. Okay, let's go. Here's the first point then. And let's look at this as an outsider... Who are you? We've been talking about that from Galatians. Look at verse 
9 then, of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what Peter says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay, the introduction was what Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is what Peter writes now to us, and it's the same idea, the same theme he's trying to get across. And he identifies four things. You see him at the beginning of the verse? As an outsider, who are you? And then Peter explains who we are. Okay, let's look at these four that I've gone to. They're kind of obvious because they're all lined up there for you. The first one says, a chosen race. A chosen race. A chosen race is a reminder of who we are and who we belong to. By God's grace, he saved us. He called us out to create a generation of people for himself. And the key word there, you might want to focus on the word race. We can talk a little bit about that, but I'd focus on the word chosen. You are a chosen race. Think about this. God has called you out. He has chosen you. Do you remember what John said in the Gospel of John, make a little side note of John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Never, ever, ever forget who chose who in your salvation. Jesus Christ called you out. Jesus Christ picked you out for salvation. You are a chosen race of people. You're an adopted group of people. So when it speaks about race, it's not talking about white or black or what other colors you want to come up with. It's the idea that you're a chosen race. You're a chosen people. And so my identity in Christ is irrelevant of skin color. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that you're a chosen race. You're a chosen people. Look at the next statement he makes. Oh, this is the verse that we read earlier, that uh, Peter and Beverly read earlier. But when we think about this idea of chosen, let me just read this, because this is so important to understand this. In their case, the God of the world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is on an all-out warfare against Jesus Christ to blind the eyes of people so they can't see who God is. You're an exception to that. Somewhere along the way, God broke through those barriers that Satan put up for you, and this is what happened. Read on as it says there in the text then. Seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Now here's the key verse. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, back to Genesis, right? Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The only reason you came to faith in Jesus Christ is because God revealed the gospel to you and you understood it. He chose you. Now we want to say, I chose Jesus. And there's reality to that because there is a will and a response from people. 
But it was God who drew you in and had you understand the gospel, embrace the gospel, and be born again. Therefore, your identity is you are chosen. You are a chosen people. It's, it's the most radical part of the Christian life that somehow it's really hard to grasp. I've been chosen by Jesus Christ. Because when you look down my street, my new street I'm not sure about, but my old street, he didn't pick them. He hasn't picked them yet. He didn't pick them. He did pick them. And he didn't pick them. And, he did. and then you realize that when you get to the next point, it's your house and he picked you. It's radical what he's done for you. Never, ever, ever take for granted the salvation that Christ offers us as a chosen people because the light of the gospel shined into our hearts. Here's the second of that then, a royal priestess. Like if you can barely somehow grasp that, he says, no, beyond that, you're a royal priesthood. Now, if, you're, if you were raised Catholic, I was. I came to faith when I was 20 years old and was born again. Everything leading up to that point Everything that I knew about a priest was radically different than now I understand about being a priest in the scriptures. You are, you are a priest. You are a priest. When I was growing up, um, part of my faith and my religion is that I would go to a confessional. And I never saw the priest. I never saw the priest on the other side of the wall, but I could hear him. He knew my voice and I knew who he was. And I would go there and I would be responsible to account for my sins and try to seek forgiveness through a man on the other side of a wall. Go figure. Christ says, no, your identity is in me. You you don't come that way anymore. You come as a priest. And think about the priest in the Old Testament, everything you know about that. You come as as a royal priest. And he uses the word royal because he clothes you as royally as he could possibly clothe you as a priest. What an awesome thing. Your identity in Christ is not only just a chosen race, but a royal priesthood. Look what he says next, the third one. He says, you're a holy nation. It just means that you've been set apart as a people group. You're holy. That's what the word holy is. In your Bible, if you just want to write, draw a line from holy, just put set apart. That's what it means in the context of that verse. You've been set apart as a nation for a people to follow after Christ. And I think because in the context of the letter that Peter's writing, there were, there were no doubt Jewish converts in the church that Peter wrote to. So when he talked about them being a holy nation, no doubt their ancestry ran back to the fact of Israel and that God had a chosen people in the Old Testament and they followed God and they were disobedient to God and they followed God and they were disobedient to God. He says, now listen, you are are a holy nation and there's a contrast here and God won't forget his nation. What he uses then in the fourth is that you're a people of God. I don't know, I don't know of any higher honor you could have than to be known as people of God. People of God. Who are you? Well, my identity is in Christ and I'm part of the family of God. What did you do to get there? I didn't do anything in myself. I heard the gospel, realized that Jesus Christ died for me. I embraced the truth of his salvation and was born again and was saved. Did you understand it all? No, I hardly understood any at all. I understood enough to be saved, though. And then the journey began, right? 
The journey began then as a follower of Christ to pursue the things of him. And so that's what Peter's getting at. Let's look at the application to that then as we think about this. An outsider, who are you? Live like outsiders, but also as people with a chosen identity. Your identity matters. You get up tomorrow morning, you don't have a clue what tomorrow morning brings. And you know what? Whatever it brings, my identity is in Christ. I'm grounded and rooted in Christ, and I can trust that for everything that it means and everything that I am. Let's look at the second part. We're going to look at verse 10. And let's look at an outsider and where you are, because in verse 10, I think Peter begins to explain where we are. Look at verse 10, because it's a continuation of that thought. Once you were not a people, okay? So if you think about a Jew in a Gentile culture, the, the Jews were, were mistreated, right? They were like the dogs, and the, and the, and the Jews would have been, or the, the Gentiles, the Jews would have been like the chosen people. So when we read a verse like this, that once you were not a people, everyone in the room should say that to yourself. Find the line, find the place where you came to salvation in Jesus Christ. Prior to that, this verse was true of you and it was true of me. Once you were not a people of God. Scriptures are pretty clear. If you aren't born again and you aren't following Jesus Christ, it means you're a child of Satan. That's really hard to take, really hard to understand, hard to preach to unbelievers that way. But that's the truth of the gospel. You either belong to Jesus Christ or you belong to Satan. So Peter says, once you were not a people... I love this now. But now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, what is mercy? Tell me what mercy is. You guys know what mercy is, right? What's mercy? Say again. Undeserved favor. Okay, so that's going to be grace. Okay, so mercy, mercy is... All those things that I deserve from the wrath of God, he withholds from me because I'm one of his chosen people. Okay, so Peter at the bottom of this verse, in the end of that verse says, um, once you had received mercy, um, once you had not received mercy, but now you have, you received mercy as a chosen people. Listen, listen to me. The wrath of God is not coming down on you as a chosen person. The penalty for death of sin is the result is that someday without a conversion and new faith in Jesus Christ, I'll be separated from God forever. But not you, according to what Peter says here. Because you are a chosen people, he says that you have received, you've received mercy. So as we think about this, let's look at the application would be this then. Live like outsiders, but also as people who know they've been found. What song is it? I, I w- once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, so now I can see. What song is that come from? Amazing grace. Okay. Amazing grace. And that's what Sandy was saying. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards me of something I don't deserve. I deserve punishment. As a chosen people, Peter says, no. No, God came and he rescued you, therefore... He shows his favor upon you. He shows his favor upon you because you've been found. Because you've been found. Look at verse 11. We'll get to our third point. Verse 11 says, 
And I love the way he starts verse 11 out. I mean, this is, this is coming from a pastor who has a heart for his people. And so in verse 11, Peter writes, beloved. Does anybody have a different translation? Does it say anything different than beloved? I didn't look up another translation. Is there an NIV or? Yeah, it says what? Translate it in English for me, though. Beloved, same word. Yeah. Beloved, I urge you as, okay, now here's how he sees us. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to do what? What's the next word? To abstain. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Okay, so Peter has talked about in chapter 1 and verse 1, chapter 1, verse 17. Now again here in verse 11 of chapter 2, he refers to us, to them as exiles, as Pastor Wade has put on our series, as outsiders. Now hold your place in 1 Peter and go to Luke chapter 22. Go to Luke chapter 22 and look at verse 31, I think it is. Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31. Okay, who's the author of the letter? It's Peter, right? Peter's the the author of the letter. I'm sorry, not Luke, but the, the letter, yeah, that we were reading earlier. Sorry, sorry, I confused you there. Yeah, Luke wrote Luke, right? Okay, but... What I want to see, I want I picked Luke because I want us to go back and see who wrote the letter and the reference to why he might write a verse like that. All right, pick it up in chapter two and look at verse thirty. What did I say? Thirty-one. Simon, Simon. So we can say Peter, Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So here Jesus comes to the writer of this letter and he says, Peter, I'm telling you, Satan is coming after you. And Satan is going to sift you. Now go back to 1 Peter in the verse we just read in verse 12 or verse 11. Peter writes to us as believers. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Listen to me. This is so important. Your identity in Christ helps you to understand that there's a war raising and Satan is trying to sift you. You remember our spiritual warfare series we did from Ephesians 6 and putting on the armor of God. You have got to understand it's your identity in Christ that will carry you through spiritual warfare. If you go into warfare without any identity of who you are in Christ, he's going he's to chew you up and he's going to spit you out because he wages war against your soul. Not that he can reclaim your soul as a born-again believer, But you know how many born-again believers I know that are sitting home doing nothing at all for Jesus Christ? Because Satan is sifting them, even as believers. He comes after us. And so Peter says, well, how how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to abstain from the passions of the flesh. 
The passions of your flesh in themselves are not wrong. Sex is not wrong. Money is not wrong. Leisure is not wrong. Possession of things is not wrong. Wanting a career and going to school, all the things that we do, the passions of the flesh are not wrong. It's when the passions of the flesh consume you, have you go outside the law of God that we, that we get ourselves in trouble. Men, you only have eyes for your wife. That's it. The passion and the lust of your flesh tells you something else. I don't care how old you are, it continues to tell you that. So Peter says, abstain from that. Abstain from that. Because the wage will war against you. But because of your identity in Christ, you can say no. You can turn away. You know who you are in Christ as a follower. And even though Satan may be trying to sift us out, we can win through Christ. So the third point is this. As an outsider, what are you doing? And I say, what are you doing? Because it's very possible, even as I speak this evening, that, that as I speak about that, God is bringing something to your mind and your heart that he's been trying to change, and you have not been listening to him. You're not listening to him. And he says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to abstain from that. Your identity is in me, and I'm a holy God, and I will not tolerate this. Therefore, understand the war that rages against you and put your identity and your trust in me. Remember the part of your Bible where it says no temptation will ever overcome you, right? That God won't provide a way out from James, right? That's what James said. There's a way out of it. There's a way out of it. So let's look at our application then to point three is this. Live like outsiders, but live a righteous life as you engage in war. You can engage in the war because you know who you are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Okay, the fourth and the last. Look at verse 12. That's our last verse. Here's the point for, for the fourth point is this. As an outsider, why are you doing this? Why would you do all the things that Peter just mentioned? Well, watch what Peter says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So listen to what he's saying here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay, listen. As a follower of Christ, and because I've placed my identity in Christ, I am to be known in my family, in my community, in my neighborhood, wherever I am, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, whether you think it's fair or not, the world around you puts certain expectations on that following of Christ. And... We embrace that. We desire to be followers of Christ and do things right. Have you ever been in a conversation with an unbeliever who knows you're a follower of Christ and you do something you shouldn't have done, they identify it in you, and they like so want to bring it out as quick as they can about, hey, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christ follower, therefore, why would you do that? And then we kind of like, um, 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 well, I, 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 I shouldn't have done they quickly define those things out on you. Peter's talking about because of your identity in Christ, 
don't listen to me. Don't let them hang anything on you. Don't let them hang anything on you. So, for example, if I had permission to go to all of your computers and you could go to my computer and I could trace every place you've been in the last 30 days, would that be an embarrassment to you? Or would you sit down next to me and go through it and say, I got no problems at all with it? If you got no problem at all with it, it means they can't hang anything on you. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, when uh, Paul's instructing Timothy, he's instructing him to put leaders in the church. And you know the word he uses to put a leader in a church? Is I want you to find men who are blameless. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And the, and the phrase there is that they can't hang anything on you. They can't hook anything on you. Now watch that in the context of the verse. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They can't hang anything on you. What they will hang on you is they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. You see, your identity that's been placed in Christ and brings you security and brings you the, 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 the ability to get through this life also is twofold. Because it's not only helping you get through life, this life that you live and you live in the identity of Christ it's so the world can see that when somebody comes to faith in Christ, it's different. You ever had anybody come up to you and say, listen, I don't know much about you. You don't know much about you, but there's something about you that's different. And so we don't, in our prideful self, like, okay, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> now, you, you would be like, can I explain to you why I'm like that because I wasn't. I was a people that was doing something else and God radically changed my life when I was 20 years old. Didn't get everything right, but man, I'm telling you, I'm on a journey of following Christ and can I tell you how he can make a difference in your life? That's what verse 12 is about. Because of your identity, the watching world will see you and they will say, as Paul said, um, I, want what, I want what you have. I want what you have. So when the crisis blows, the next crisis that blows into our church and one of our families in our church, the next crisis that comes your way and it doesn't sweep you off your feet and you don't go in a cave and hide and collapse and go under, but because of your identity in Christ, you stand as a pillar of truth and you cling to Christ for everything you're worth and other people see it like, how, how, how can you cope like that? How do you do that? Because my identity is in Christ. It's not my own strength and my own power. It's in Christ who enables me to do this. Closing application for that is live like outsiders, but live in a way that brings glory to God. Because of your identity in Christ, you'll bring glory to Jesus Christ. Okay, let's close. Because we've been talking about identity theft. Be aware of it. That's what Peter's getting at in these four verses. Be aware that you have an identity in Christ and the world is going to try to rob you of that. The world's going to try to rock you to some extreme and try to rattle you about that. So closing application is this. Look back, look around, and look up. This is so helpless for us in understanding our identity. And what I want you to do, I want you to do this evening or maybe tomorrow morning when you get up, the application is this. I want you to take time to just do these three things and just look back 
and just praise God for your salvation. Where you were and where you are today as a people. And then just look around. Just look around. I love with my grandkids, if we're at the dinner table or something else, I'll just say, hey, tell me one joyful thing or tell me one good thing that happened to you today. Because everything around you, there's a lot of negative stuff. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of things. But when I look around, just count your blessing. Despite the heartache and the trials and the difficulty, look around and count the blessings. And the third is this, is look up. Just look up and lift your hands and say, listen, I need you. I need you to help me in my identity in you because my own weakness and my own frailty thinks little of myself. And yet you think much of me and desire to please me. Never forget where you came from, who you are in him, and the promise of a future to come. That's what Peter says. Outsiders in a crazy, fast, wicked world, your identity is in Christ. It's as if Jesus Christ just shouts, you can do this. You can do this. I'm in you, and you are in me. And you can do this. Amen? Father, help us. Because there's even doubt and, and sometimes difficulty and sometimes unbelief that runs in and crowds our hearts. And Father, I pray as we move even through this week, we'll be mindful to do these things. Be mind, mindful of who we belong to and that we can rest and take comfort in that despite the circumstances around us. Thank you for Peter who writes as a man who, who knew what it was like to be under attack and yet preached the truth so dear to the believers there and even to us today, 2,000 years later, still penetrating the hearts of the followers of Christ. And so, Father, you continue to have your perfect way in all of it as we submit to you and trust you and lean on you for all things. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.